I assumed that a zombie tsunami would actually arrive anywhere just as a gross blood wave because they're not immune they would to they pressure. Would get pulped. <laughs> <laughs> you just get pulped. So you just, like, it starts as a zombie tsunami, but as soon as it hits, I mean, anything, you're just dealing with a zombie pulp wave. Butterscotch shenanigans. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 441 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, the chief execution officer. Whoa, that sounds dangerous. Yeah. I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. This is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is November 3rd still. 20 Jubilee. Yeah. Uh, That's why I went with a spooky one, because I felt like it still feels like it's Halloween, you know? Yes. Now, this episode is coming out uh, a couple weeks after we record it, because we recorded multiple, back-to-back, because of scheduling things. So if if some really important stuff has happened in the meantime, and we're not talking about it, yeah, that's why. That's Mm -hmm. probably why. Also, we probably don't really talk about many important things, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. If you're coming to this podcast wanting to hear about important things, go elsewhere. You're in the (laughs) wrong place. Mm -hmm. What, What are you doing? Uh, also, anything could happen on this show, especially profanity, uh, guaranteed, or your money back. So if you're not here for curses, you can get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you so much for your recurring donations to help keep the podcast going. Now, today, we are just going to do questions from listeners. Plural. Big, big words. We might even get a third one on there. Ooh. Let's see. Here we go. First question comes from Spicy V Get Noily, who says, "Do you have any <laughs> advice?" <laughs> hey, I'm trying to, I'm trying to parse that. Spicy V Get Noily. It's spi- so it's Spicy V as in V I E. Mm, okay. Spicy V. Mm-hmm. That's the first. So this name. isn't a rumpus name. This is a user. I chosen. think it is. I think it. I don't it's think probably started as a rumpus name and then got, got then they threw it into a blender. Yeah, because we have a we have a random alias generator on in our rumpus system, which you can use on our website if you have a rumpus account to get some pretty sick names. Yeah, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm honest, which is also why a lot of the names of people asking our podcast are truly unhinged <laughs> in the best way. In the best way. Uh, so Spicy V Get Noily, mm-hmm. who says, do you have any advice or direction for someone who wants to shift careers into the gaming industry? So Here's my facetious one before we get started, which is don't. don't. Okay. Got that out of the nice. way? Now let's get into it. Disclaimer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Why not? It is. Okay. So I don't, and I don't really mean that <laughs> really, but as, yeah, a, but as like, an let's, industry, let's, as an let's industry. Let's do the thought experiment. As an industry, not great for uh, anybody who isn't a straight white dude uh, because of the toxicity of the culture, right? So that's already. Yeah. And even for those dudes. I was say, even for them. Typically. If you like to crunch. Yeah. And even for, for them, you, not maybe. great either. Yeah. But historically, uh, bad culture um, kind of across the board. Uh and historically underpaid, uh, and you're treated more like a cog in the industry than you are in other parts of the tech sort of tech sector. Mm-hmm. Um, but for is that true? I think not. Not like you know. I would say like there there are more tech roles you can get not in games that don't mm-hmm. treat you like a cog. There's still there. plenty that do. Uh, than there are in games. Like if you're working at a smaller studio, that kind of stuff. Like it's. It's just like any other small business, hit or miss. But that's but you can definitely find stuff there where it's a little less uh, horrible, you know. But yeah, uh, but it's yes. Yeah, so I think I think the problem it's it's a problem with any creative industry, 
um, is that it thrives on converting people's dreams into yeah. nightmares. Yeah. You know, like that's kind of how it operates. So assuming that's true that of lots of industries though. It's true of lots yeah. of industries, not just, not just games. And mm-hmm. there are ways to have a good time in the industry is, you know, uh, it's all, it's, it's all doable, but I would, it's just one of the things I want to make sure you're not coming in being like, Oh, my dream is to work in games because it's going to be, it's like so beautiful and cool. To be. it's, like, no, it's a job. It's, yeah, it, I would think about it this is way. a job. Mm-hmm. I think about this way. If like, let's say you're going to go work at an accounting firm or something, right? Uh, you got to, pretty good sense of what that is going to be like. Yeah. Um, and if you go from one accounting firm to another, you know, your your mileage is going to vary a bit based on how micromanaging is your boss and, uh, you know, are they like trusting you with big jobs or not or that kind of a thing, right? But the overall shape of the work um, is pretty predictable, mm-hmm. right? In terms of like what, what you're going to do and what the, the consequences are. Uh, Things are really well standardized. Get, yeah. And I would say in... In creative spaces, whether you're like making games, making movies, making music, writing books, you know, basically like you're making something that nobody needs to fulfill a mechanical purpose, but you're fulfilling an emotional purpose, mm-hmm. um, which means that it's extremely hard to predict uh, what you even need to be making to begin with mm-hmm. and then and, how to do it. And there's no simple like input, good work, output, success kind of a mechanism, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so I would say in, in games, you will have lower lows and higher highs in yeah. terms of yeah. things that can go real badly and things that can go real well. Right. Um, and so if you're okay with that kind of a, you know, high risk, high reward, but also possibly no reward, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's what risk is. Um, then, then yeah, like it's, if you can swing that, then yes, yeah, so it can be great. Yeah. If we assume eyes are open, right. Go ahead. This has been yeah. thought about. Yeah. I don't know what industry we're transferring from. So I got no specifics, which means I got to go back to my generalist grab bag of someone. Yeah. Because this is just, this is just advice for someone who wants to shift careers, which implies they're not like fresh out of college, no career history. They like, Mm -hmm. they've been doing something Mm -hmm. for a while. Cause like you, you like, you have a, you have a job and then eventually you have a career. Once you've been doing that yeah. job for a while, right? So if you if you're shifting careers, but I think you're probably in your 30s or something. Yeah, but right? I, th- I think career also implies that you have like honed and developed some some type of skill set, right? Maybe got a degree, whatever. You know? yeah, yeah, whatever it is, right? Because yeah, it, so I think just like with your shifting f- from any industry to another, um, the the best thing you can do is try to figure out how do I take the skill set that I've developed and cultivated in my current career and apply it in this other domain because that's also what makes you, you know, for any industries, that's also what makes you the most valuable and hardest to replace in this context because because you can actually try to leverage the fact that you're making a transition to yes. your advantage, right? Rather yes. than treat it as like, oh no, like I've now spent all this time not doing this other stuff, so I'm going to be bad at it. Instead, if you can find a way to... It's a frame. You have to framing. point what you're already good at, and, and so, so, but that does mean if like your if your dream is to become a game designer, right, specifically, and the stuff that you're doing right now just is so somehow so far removed from any element of design, right, mm-hmm. which is actually pretty rare as long if you're as long as you're approaching your work philosophically, but, but yeah, that's a really hard transition, mm-hmm. definitely. But if you want to be in the games industry kind of more in general, and like you like the idea of being somehow involved in 
design, but your background doesn't doesn't really have any like uh, intentional design components to it, then you can find ways to like figure out what would it mean for me to over time convert. Like, say you are an accountant, right? You're really good at moving numbers around, right? Like that's that's what that is. A lot of yeah, aspects whether you of want games to be or not, you yeah. got the skills now. Yeah. yeah, a lot of aspects of games moving numbers around. You know, that's kind of yeah. But also, like, you know what? Uh, uh, indie game studios are notoriously bad at accounting, accounting. business, business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. accounting, right? Because like we know, we know a few folks like um, Chris Zakowski or Fat Bard mm-hmm. who basically realized that um, there are a large number of small studios that are all bad at the same things and all need the same work done and can't but, afford to bring somebody in full time in house to do those things, or maybe yeah, even if they could, or it, wouldn't it would make, make sense. sense. Yeah, yeah. So in Fat Bard's case, it's it's audio, it's sounds and music, right? Where it's like for any given game. It's not going to take you the entire duration of the game's production cycle to make the music and the sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it wouldn't make sense for for him to go and, uh, you know, just like apply for a job at a game studio because they just don't have the, the work, mm-hmm. right? And same thing with Chris Zikowski with his marketing stuff that he's been doing over the past, I guess, ten probably 10 years by now. Uh, it's been quite a while that he's been doing all this stuff. Um he realized that, you know, when he talks to all these different indies, they all have different perspectives on what worked for them and what didn't work for them for marketing, but they're all reinventing the wheel every time they launch a game and they're not sharing knowledge with each other, right? Well, so and, like, and the knowledge that they are sharing is largely, you know, it's it's a it's story-driven, you know? anecdote-driven stuff, which is because yeah. without a large amount of of input from lots of people, then all you can possibly have are just anecdotes, right? Yeah. So, so in like in both their cases, they realize, you know, my skill set doesn't actually translate to working at a s- smaller studio. I could go work at a big studio maybe, right? But maybe you don't, maybe you don't want, want that. To, maybe yeah. You want, yeah. And so they realize though, well, they could just build up a, a portfolio of working with a bunch of studios all at the same time and helping them all with the same problem, right? So they just inserted themselves into the industry and deployed their skills in a way that, that made sense. And yeah, that, like that's hard and it takes – Quite a while to build up. to build that up, um, but that's that's another approach, right? So it well, all depends on what that's one of those things that has that like that ease in approach, right? Because you can the scale of the projects you're taking on are they are by design smaller, so you're stacking yeah. smaller projects on top of each other, which means there's just there's a flipping point somewhere down the line if you take an approach like that to getting in that has you going from essentially having this be like a, a part time thing or a thing you do like a you know, moonlighting sort of a vibe weekends. Uh, nights that sort of thing to being the thing that you could actually fully sustain yourself on once you yeah, there's, a tr- there's a transition mechanism which is always the transition is really hard <laughs> to not yeah that's, that's a hard that's a very hard thing well especially uh, if you're yeah, sort like, of starting a new career because like because the whole idea of a career is you're supposed to be getting increased success and financial stability and stuff right and transitioning to a new career always has that aspect of like starting over but mm-hmm. most people most of the time will have adapted their lives around whatever financial success level that they have right so so you get your ability so like you'll have kids you'll have bought a house of a certain size and have a mortgage of a certain size like this kind of stuff right uh, and in your current career, that all maybe works out just fine because you planned around that fact, right? And that whole like starting over problem where you add all this financial uncertainty. Because I think honestly, that's really the biggest risk for transitioning ever like between even between jobs, but especially between careers, careers is, yeah. is how do you make that transition 
without putting your livelihood and the livelihood of the people around you at significant risk. Um, and and that's, that's a lot of two of why, like when you talk about games in particular, like I, I think of games as a very risky industry as a career path. Um, and because it's so volatile, it's so hard to understand where success comes from. And again, because like, I mean, we've just been seeing layoffs left and right in games right now, right? right Um, it's, it's, it's just an unstable kind of an industry and it it kind of thrives on young people who don't need the same level of stability. Right. Um, and that's why it's able to kind of stay so unstable. And so that's a lot of why I kind of, I'm not strongly saying like, don't, it's just like, that's such an important part of the puzzle of like, how do you successfully financially make that transition? That that's where I think you'd have to, you'd really pay the most attention to when it comes to this question. Oh yeah. Yeah. Preparation's key. I think on the, the basically making it so that your life can support a transition, frankly, regardless of what the transition is, whether it was going to games yeah. or anything else. Anything. Yeah. Um, so but that's that, also why trying to order. convert your existing skills into something indispensable in this new space is that's, that's the highest likelihood way of being able to move from one sort of financially stable spot to another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, if you're wanting to get into the games industry in something that you currently have absolutely no background in, you better just get started. Like, <laughs> Yeah, start well, gotta, doing the thing. The so thing. Yeah, you got to develop the skills, right? That's a whole other. That's a whole other set of problems. Yeah, it depends uh, on the right, thing that, and all that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from Captain Jazz, who says, "Adam, the combat trailer for Crashlands Two just dropped this morning. The people need to know. Have you ever played hot potato with a lionfish before? <laughs> so I feel like these two things are somehow related, but I'm not sure they how are, they're related. Re- they are related. It was so." so so we have the Ballyhoo, which is our, I'm going to say monthly, but that's, you know, it's a little bit of a stretch. Our, it's our time period newsletter. Our time, time periodly period. newsletter. Uh, and so for the last one, I was like, I want to see if I can kind of double our investment and also make a video version of this thing. So then when I, when I then wrote what is normally just an email newsletter, I tried to write it as a script, you know, so I needed it to have kind of a different kind of a vibe. Um, and so I tried, you know, I tried to throw some jokes in there, but the main thing I was trying to do was like, I was trying to find stuff to say about, about combat and like combat design in crashing. So we, you know, we need something to talk about. We all agree. Like, oh, this is a fun topic, you know, um, visually interesting as a, as a topic. And, uh, and so I was just like, I just needed a list of like things that were interesting, you know? And one of the things is, is that you can use fish as a projectile weapon. Right. Or just a weapon in general. There's various fish based weaponry. Right. And but as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, fish don't they don't sound like weapons, you know. But then as I was thinking about it more, I remembered there's this there's this guy on TikTok who haunts lionfish. Like that's because they're an invasive species in most places. Mm. Right. And so there's just videos of him like going around just like spear fishing. Like he's this like huge bag full of lion. But he's always like trying to dodge all of their spiny poison barbs because they poison the shit out of you. Right. And so as yeah. I was like, cause I was, I was thinking about this as I was like putting this all together and just made me think of, of, uh, I needed to prove that using fish as a weapon made sense. It was good. So that's, mm. and so then in the, and then in the trailer, then I have that reference to, to, if you don't think fish are a good weapon, you know, trying, try playing hot potato with a lionfish. That's true. Uh, that's honestly, if, if you've been fishing, if you grab a fish, you know, fish, those spines yeah. will stab the shit in just a regular, like a, just a bass. Just, that's what they're there for. Water bass. Stab it. Yeah. Have you seen a Sharknado? Oh, yeah. That's, uh, well, I, mean, I haven't seen one in, in the flesh, you know. I've only seen it in the, doc, the documentary. Yeah, the documentary. Uh, Sharknado. I, yeah. Was, yeah. I was in one in real life. Very oh, 
scary and dangerous. Would not recommend. Because of the barbs. Also, because of the barbs. <laughs> because of the barbs. Sharks on that note, I don't know if it was a real trailer or what, because it's, we're getting to the territory of like stuff uh, of like, yep. it's so outrageous now, you know, but it was, a, what was it, like? it was like a zombie tsunami or something. It was like, they took like Sharknado, right? But then they were like, instead it's a tsunami, but it's the wave There's, is full of zombies. Honestly, that's <laughs> that would actually work because zombies, you know, they don't need to breathe so they can yeah, totally they can keep, they can be in the water, just not chomping on people. Uh, as they get like washed across them and you, you know, that's it. So but really, you know, if you look at like the physics of crowd crushes and stuff, which yeah. happen when there's like a, you know, like a big concert or something and people essentially become like a, is it like a liquid, right? But yeah. it, it could put a lot of force and you get, people get killed in these crowd crushes all the time. Um, I assume that a zombie tsunami would actually arrive anywhere just as a gross blood wave because they're not immune they would all, to they pressure. Would <laughs> <laughs> you just get pumped. So you just, like, it starts as a zombie tsunami, but as soon as it hits, I mean, anything, you're just dealing with a zombie pulp wave. Zombie pulp. But, but, but because true. zombies are, you know, all of their parts are autonomous, then really what you're dealing with is like, you got a head just like biting things. You got arms just grabbing you, you know, like. That's true. It's probably less of a pulpy mess than it is just like a random body parts touching you. It's like a zombie chili tsunami. You know what I mean? There's yeah, chunks. No thanks. Just That's, a lot of big chunks. Honestly, I would rather it just be regular ass live zombies that just kill me than like dealing with infinite zombie body parts trying to touch me. <laughs> That's you a know? special kind of hell. No think. thanks. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, no, um, I'm not down for that either. No. Fuck that. Uh, all right, next question comes from Disgruntled Pineapple, who says, I have enjoyed your informative episodes about unity. I was wondering if you guys would be willing to discuss other current events in the gaming world. Can you talk about or explain DDoS attacks in lieu of the attacks on Destiny 2? I would also love to hear about you talk about the return of Titanfall 2 and why and how it fell in the first place. Mm. I don't know uh, enough I, about either of these. I, I could talk about DDoS attacks, but I don't know about Titanfall. Yeah, we haven't been following Titanfall pretty much at all, but, nope. uh, you know, we could maybe take a peek at it and think about it for, for some future. where you <laughs> jump around, you got a mech and you jump around and stuff, I don't know. Yeah, and I guess yeah, I guess good. they fall. So yeah, and I mean, I, I we have seen that. the fall of things like uh, like Overwatch Two. You know, I and I, I think in general you have this they have this ongoing problem with um, multiplayer games that require a constant community who want to capitalize or expand on the franchise by you know launching a sequel, mm-hmm. which will. One hundred percent cannibalize the first game. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's a really hard business move. Yeah. yeah. Now, so what that means is like you have to do a good enough job with the new game that everybody playing the first game wants to switch. Yeah, and it. then so. it's an Overwatch Two situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess they it's, just converted Overwatch to Overwatch Two, right? Or something. They called it Overwatch Two, but it's basically Overwatch One with like a few small. But like changes. you can't play Overwatch uh, One, right? Like it's literally right. I I can't. I think they shut it down. I can't. I think remember, I thought it was but, shut down. Like I was following it for a while, but I was like, this is this is way too dumb. Whatever's going on over here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's the kind of problem, which is like, if you're making a sequel to a multiplayer game, there is a a trust, or, or you do sort of like the FIFA thing, which is like, you just establish a tradition that you never change anything, but somehow there's always a new game. Mm-hmm. And as long as people expect that, then they're Good like, I, they're, then they say to themselves, for some reason, I'm going to pay for this again. And then they do it. I, don't, I still don't know why that happens, but yeah, there's a trust aspect mm-hmm. so that's probably i don't know i'm assuming that's what happened with titanfall 2 because that's what always happens but we can look into it yeah. and, and mm-hmm. you know see yeah, when it comes DDoS to ddos attacks so that stands for distributed denial of 
service. And so the idea is this, that the whole internet is built on this. The way that the internet works is that you can just go try to talk to a server, a server, someone else's computer. That's all that means, right? So you can just try to send stuff to it. And in fact, that's how the internet works. The, the only way you can do anything is you try to talk to their server, right? It's like someone knocking on your front door. Yeah. You know, people can just walk yeah. up and knock on your you front can't, door. And in fact, to allow the people you want to knock on the door, you have to first allow literally anybody to knock on the door so you can figure out, is this a person who I want to be knocking on the door, right? And so- And then you choose whether to answer it after you yeah, look through the people. But they still know? knocked though. They still yes, got yeah. to your door and they still knocked, right? And there's no way to stop that from happening. Just like in real life, these fuckers keep knocking on your door. They will not stop, <laughs> right? So there's no way to stop it because- you can't stop it without the internet not working because if you stop that, then how could you let somebody knock on your door to find out if you want them to be let in, right? Mm -hmm. So all of the servers on the internet that are doing internet stuff, serving websites, serving multiplayer games, whatever, right? Basically have to just let people try to talk to it. That's mm -hmm. always the first step. And there are some things you can do to like lock things down like a little bit upstream, like prevent certain IPs from hitting and all that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. But even for that though, at some point, somebody has to knock on the door and be like, here's my IP address, right? So like you could put stuff in the way, but there's always has to be something that is receiving these door knocks, right? So the problem comes in then if you build, you build things at a certain scale, it costs you computation effort to then get the knock on the door, be like, who the fuck is this? And then decide if I'm going to let them in, right? So we all design our website our web infrastructure, our servers, to be able to support a certain number of door knocks before we're like, before we just like the door gets knocked over or whatever, right? So, so it's all designed around like whatever your expected usage is basically, right? But again, the problem is you can't just stop other people from knocking on the door. Yeah. So a good example is like, let's say you're about to throw a dinner party. Mm -hmm. Four people are coming to your dinner party, right? And you know, they're going to be arriving like over a one hour period. Yeah. Okay, you've got the food, everything's ready. And then right as the one hour period starts, you hear a knock. You go to the door. It's somebody else who was not invited. They're yeah. just selling you shit, whatever. You're like, what the fuck? You're still trying so to you, prep dinner, right? Yeah, so you're trying to prep dinner. You shut the door. Instantly, there's another knock. It's somebody else. You're like, what the fuck? But you know that there's people supposed to be coming. So like, you got to be checking the door, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for the people you invited. And, and you're just like, get away, shut the door. Knocks again immediately. You still haven't been able to finish cooking yeah, the, so the meal. You can't finish cooking right? your meal. But now, there, when you go look out the peephole, there's just so many people out there all like trying to knock on your door that you can't even tell if the people that you like and invited are out there, right? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. just a horde. And the whole – so you're trying to figure out like, do I let these people in? Like what's going on? And the whole time that you're trying to do that – the food isn't being cooked. It's not ready for your actual guests. And you're yeah, lucky you're just, if your guests can even now. get in, right? Because you're just busy manning the door, right? So yep. so a DDoS attack is basically a whole bunch of assholes universally. Because there's no reason to do this unless you're an asshole, right? Or unless you're trying to take down some nefarious entity. But it's almost exclusively used by assholes. There's always an asshole, asshole on one end of it. Okay. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Or both. Yeah. <laughs> one end or both. Um in the game space, though, like there's just no reason to DDO. There's just no reason to do it. Um, so, so what a DDoS is is it says it's actually pretty cheap to knock on the door, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really expensive to knock on the door a lot, right? But if you can find a way though to have a lot of people all cheaply knock on the door in a way that you don't really have to pay for very much, right? Mm -hmm. Then you could basically create such a problem for the 
person trying to host their little dinner party, you know, that their dinner party fails, right? Or so, their house gets collapsed because their house gets somebody over. knocks. So I just <laughs> I was looking it up while you guys while you're explaining the concept. Bungie apparently had a week, at least a week long DDoS attack. That's that a long could DDoS not, attack. That's a that's a extremely long. Usually yeah, you're well, so, hold this in like a day. Yeah, and so think about this. Like what happens during a game launch is already is already a DDoS, right? Yes. You're going to have way, way, way more activity hitting your servers than at any other point in time. Yeah. It's like a month after launch, it's going to be like 10% of what it is during the strategies for this, right? One is you just somehow, it's like, because of, we have things like Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure and stuff these days, you can temporarily rent servers, right? So one strategy you can take from this kind of thing is like at launch, you just like, rent a fuckload of excess capacity that you otherwise mm-hmm. wouldn't use. Um, but for more traditional companies or ones that do most of their stuff in-house, what you'd have to do instead is buy fuckloads of hardware that will only be used for like a week, right? Yeah. And yeah. nobody's yeah. doing so, that, right? Yeah, why would you do that? So yeah. so basically, and, and also you're trying to guess because you have no, you can't simulate this kind of scale, right? You can just kind of guess at it. And you also, because it's games, you don't know what to expect for like how many people actually play on your opening day or whatever, right? And so you don't want to waste money by over-investing in server capacity, but you also don't want to underestimate it too badly because then nobody actually can get through. And this is why like when every time a Blizzard game launches, they're in, they're in effect getting a peaceful DDoS of all the people yeah. trying to sign into the it's game. Not attack, attacks, right? it's, it's not an attack. It's still DDoS. Yeah. yeah, but it's still DDoS. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it means that they're already way above their normal capacity. Yeah. So, so think, if I you think in, throw extra bullshit on top of it, then it's Yeah, but bad. they are. The unusual, though, gamer sort of culture stuff, what I was reading was that some gamers were pushing the idea, some conspiracy that this was, you know, they were doing this to themselves or they did some stupid, like they should be able to fix it, blah, 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 like, you know. It is just yeah. not like... Even if it's it, not real, it's not, it's not <laughs> real, but also it, it is very easy to DDoS yourself. So here's, yeah. here's an example of how that can happen. Um, let's say you got uh, some website, some web service, right? And let's say you just on that, on that web page, you have some little thing that basically asks for something from the server on, let's say a one minute timer, just every minute. Mm-hmm. It's like, Hey, what's give me, give me notifications. Give me something. Right. Uh, now let's say you fucked something up a little bit and mm-hmm. it's doing it every second instead. Whoops. Right? Uh, whoops. Or every millisecond, <laughs> something horrible, right? Now, all of a sudden, every single browser that goes to your webpage is submitting like a thousand requests per second, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it could just take a- Twitter did this. Twitter did this to itself. Yeah, Twitter, yeah, they, there was like one day they released an update to their service that made yeah. like some timeline thing or something just- just check their server like yeah. every millisecond and they just the whole fucking thing went but down. But if it's a right? <laughs> if it's a website though, then you can deploy a fix and the moment somebody refreshes the browser, it's gonna stop doing that, right? Yep. If you have deployed a video game, which is sometimes in the browser, but all the ones that like you think about are not, right? They're a standalone right application. That, yeah. Then you can't fix it because it's not yours. It's not your application. It's deployed somewhere else. It's a standalone thing. You can't change it unless somebody downloads an updated version and installs the updated version of that game, right? So if you fuck something up in mm-hmm. in how conservative you are about how much the game talks to your server, right? Then all of a sudden you got a fuckload of traffic coming in, and there is nothing you can do because again, this whole the whole point here is you can't prevent people from knocking the door. It's not possible, mm-hmm. right? So you can. 
DDoS yourself very easily on accident. And if you're in the game space or any software that gets delivered space, uh, it can take you days, weeks, yeah. months to actually resolve that because now you, you're relying on all of your users to fix that problem for you by downloading your update, right? Yeah. So a good example would be like, let's say, let's say that hypothetically, if you have a game like Bungie, people are playing online together. Let's say that whenever someone is playing online, there's one of these things happening where previously it was pinging the server every second. Now it's doing it a thousand times a second. You are not going to be able to essentially tell that player's game to stop doing that, yep. right? So in other words, until they update, they're still doing it, yeah. right? Which not means on purpose. Not on purpose. Which by playing the you, game, you did doing. that. Really? Yeah. yeah. And so it's one of those things where the transition then is is not as easy as something like Web, to Adam's point, where you said what the truth is and the truth is now reflected everywhere once a, yeah. a page refreshes, which they refresh like all the fucking time. So that's just like not really, there's no lag in terms of adoption of the version. Or certainly a lot worse. less of it. Yeah. 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 And even worse, some consoles may take up to two weeks yeah. to yeah. have your uh, your patch go through a cert, and they might even decline your patch, and then you got to start that two-week period over mm-hmm. again, right? So and like, the whole time, you're getting self-DDoSed, right, by mm-hmm. by something going yeah. on in your, in your server. So, so the point being, um, web dev is trivially easy, and game dev is extremely hard. I think that's kind of the... <laughs> yep. That's that's the yeah. takeaway, yeah. probably. That's the takeaway. I think yeah. we're all agreed. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, but yeah. So that, which is all to say, like, but DDoSing is really so. It's it's actually a lot cheaper to do it to yourself because it's already the software you've deployed, right? Uh, hard to recover, but you you have full control of both sides at least to an extent. It might take some time depending on how stuff is deployed, right? But when other people are doing it, it's it's really costly, right? Because they need to because like servers, like even a tiny tiny server, like a a little machine with a little bit of CPU and hard drive, right? Can actually handle a f- quite a bit of of web traffic, Processes. right? Yeah. Before it starts to become a problem, and, unless people are exploiting something really specific, like uploading large files or something. Um, which also, that's again, that's one another one of those things. Like you can't stop people from trying to upload huge files to you either, right? You can like <laughs> you can not accept it, but the server still had to process the fact that you tried to do it, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's. So it's you can come up with ways to make really costly you know server requests, um, but the reason that, that the distributed comes into play is because the way that people mitigate these is they usually put stuff in front somewhere, some something in front of the server that gets the traffic first. So this is like what Cloudflare is; that's its whole thing, mm-hmm. basically, right? Um, this is what a content delivery network, a CDN, like it's one of the things that it's good for. Um, you need a meat shield. You need a you meat know? shield where basically it'll just absorb stuff and then only – and it can do that cheaply because it's basically just mostly rejecting. So it's like it's like, it's like like your bouncer down at the gate yeah. somewhere else, mm-hmm. right? Who's so only is, at my dinner At my dinner party, I grab Sam and I'm like, okay, what the – I don't know what the fuck is going on out there, but deal with this. So I yeah. kick Sam out the door and then Sam yells out, all right, if you're here for the dinner party, come talk to mm-hmm. me. And so that he kind of gets the crowd around himself. And meanwhile, you know, and starts, then yeah. Seth's over there cooking stuff like he was supposed now to do in the first place. Now I can get right? back to cooking. Yeah. yeah. So so that's basically what these services are for. And those services can be extremely effective when it's just like one rando with a single IP address, right? Because you just like block that traffic, traffic and you're done. But it starts to become hard when- So it's a limit. When- you don't when there's like a million requests coming in, all from different clients. And you're trying to decide which one of these are valid, right? And because mm-hmm. you don't want to reject stuff that is valid, but you certainly don't want to let stuff through that isn't, right? And so that's where like the DDoS comes in is you have to somehow enlist a huge number of computers, whether they're 
other Across servers, the whether they're players, things, whatever they are. But yeah, you have to enlist a huge number of servers that yeah that are geographically located so that they have a broad array of IP addresses. So basically you're trying to make the pattern really hard to detect of like where these things are coming from so that a lot of processing effort has to occur for every request. Like that's what the goal of these things are, right? Mm -hmm. So it makes it as hard as possible to prevent. Uh, but these are really expensive because you have to enlist thousands of computers to do your bidding, right? So this is why usually DDoS attacks are mediated by bot farms where somebody has installed malware on large numbers of random people's machines, right? Or even their thermostats and yeah, thermostats, smart yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it's, it's also why smart home devices are a really good target for causing DDoS attacks because they're ubiquitous, they're everywhere, they have really low security thresholds, right? Um, Every and light people, bulb in your house is probably a DDoS thing, doesn't yeah. it do, you know? Yeah, well, that's exactly because yeah, nobody's <laughs> running antivirus on their light bulb, you know? Like, yeah, that's <laughs> fucking crazy. Yeah, it's, it's not one of the, yeah, so, but again, these have to be a sustained attacks with these things. And so you, so you have to basically find a way to do it in a, so that people can't just block list of IP addresses and be yeah. done, right? Um, it's hard to do at scale like that. Yeah, but. and that's also why they usually don't last very long. Like yeah. a week is a really long DDoS attack. Um, it's like someone invested a lot of effort and energy for why. <laughs> and this is like, yeah. it's like, is they're not cheap. They're really hard to do, right? Like they're really costly. Uh, why? I mean, my, my tinfoil hat says... It's a competitor, you know? It's a competitor trying to sabotage the launch of the game, but also, like, the the, the legal consequences, if you are pegged as the person who did something like this, is a enormous oh, civil suit. It'll be very high, yeah. And, and probably some criminal stuff, too, because um, it's essentially destruction of property, right? Like, you mm -hmm. are destroying some business's ability to generate revenue, which is the most egregious sin you can commit in the United States of oh, America, true, to yeah. be frank. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so you will be hung, mm -hmm. hanged immediately. <laughs> uh, but yeah, otherwise, or or it's just bored douchebags. I don't know. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those, it's like, it's not so expensive that any, because like any rando can actually just go buy time. Because like bot farms just exist. Because like, because this is the whole idea of, of distribution, right? It's like, if you distribute yeah, you malware to a million computers, your malware is on a million computers. It's just there now, right? And until somebody essentially takes it and fixes it, which is not likely actually, you just have a bot farm now, right? But every time you use your bot farm, you increase its detection by services that are looking for it so that it becomes less efficacious over time, right? And so you could just go rent time on a bot farm for like certain purposes and stuff, right? via the dark web. Like you can, you could just, yeah. you could just do that stuff and it isn't that expensive for short bursts with, you know, relatively small numbers of machines. But if you're trying to knock down an entity like Bungie, video game servers, right? Yeah, a giant entity with expensive. lots of hardware and lots of people who know what their jobs are, right? And especially if it's mediated by like something like Cloud, like Cloudflare has been, it's going to be mediated by absorbing the most incredibly scaled, Attacks like they every once in a while they put out a report. Hey, it's the biggest attack we've ever had. Then here's how we mitigated it. You know, super interesting stuff, right? But the amount of infrastructure that Cloudflare has is astronomical. And for you to even make a dent in like a Cloudflare, right, uh, would require a real investment. Like you can't just get through it. And again, this is also true for like if you're trying to knock down Bungie, right? Like it won't be nearly as hard as knocking down Cloudflare, like not even close, but. Way harder than just like, like if you want to knock down our website, not even be a big deal. You could just do it. Mm -hmm. You could just go for it. Why? I don't know. Why would you yeah, do please that? Please don't, yeah. but it wouldn't be that hard. Right? 
Yeah. But, you know, we're not operating at that same level of scale. And we also don't have like such critical things running. Like we're not running a multiplayer servers there and stuff, right? Um, where you can just completely destroy everybody's good time. Yeah. Right? And like, our, yeah, so our, like our our security strategy for so many things is just try to make it not matter. Yeah, just make it not so matter. Like, like if somebody if somebody did a DDoS attack on, on Levelhead, you could still play Levelhead. Yeah, you just might not be able you to could, upload stuff for a bit. Yeah, you, yeah there'd be a few, there'd be some aspects of the game that are all web stuff where like you wouldn't be able to get to the tower, you wouldn't be able to like sync your, your cloud level, but you could still go to the workshop and work on levels that are offline levels and you could play the campaign you could play you could download levels in advance so if you have downloaded levels you could play all of those mm-hmm. and then once the servers come back up it would all sync up and you're good to go right and so like we try to take this you know offline uh op- offline gameplay always as an option because people who are doing ddos attacks want to ruin everybody's day yeah mm-hmm. it's the only reason to do it so if you make it so that if they went through all the time and expense to do that it's and just people can still people can still just play the yeah. game anyway <laughs> Then there's no right. there's no incentive for it for them, right? So you know, and this is like why I'm saying this you could do it, was, but nothing would really happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, again, please don't. But it, it wouldn't be as big of a deal, right? But, yeah, but this is also why every time you hear about this in the game space, it's somebody knocking down a multiplayer server at usually specifically at launch, right? on launch, launch. Because yeah. also at launch is when they're already stretched beyond their hardware capacity in the first place, right? And so it's going to be a lot cheaper at launch for you to run a successful DDoS attack than if you wait for three months when they still have all their infrastructure, but, you know, a tenth of the players or whatever. Um, well, and, you, and especially during launch, you can create this feedback loop where if you, let's say you knock down like the login servers mm-hmm. for a, a game launch. Yeah. The people who took the day off of work are going to keep trying to log in all day. So they're also they DDoS attacking. So yeah, it becomes right. basically the equivalent of like if you have this dinner party going on and then you suddenly you're like, oh, everyone get the fuck out for a sec. I need to like do something. Kick them all out. And they're like, hey, I was like halfway through my meal. I went back into the building. And so they just, just keep they on just knocking. Keep knocking. And they just come back in <laughs> yeah. and start knocking again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like you can't launch launch week is just like such a for a like I'm saying for a multiplayer game, it's such a prime moment because everything that happens helps with the DDoS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Including it, just the players themselves. Yeah. You know? So if you're smart, that's when you're gonna do it. But also if you do it another time, it probably won't make the news because it will get mitigated. Right. Like, yeah, it might just people might see a slowdown or they might have a little bit of trouble or something, but it won't be the same level of chaos you can create at launch. Um, Yeah. So so that's part of this. Like, I don't know. I really don't know why people are doing this shit um, besides just to, Eh. again, just to be assholes. But, but the way that people talk about it is always like, it's always at launch. So it feels like it's targeted in a really particular way. But also, that's the most efficacious time to do it by a huge amount, right? So like if you're doing it any other time, like if you want to do attack a company or attack a game, that's when you would do it. That's the only time that really is cost effective. Um, so I don't think it's so much about the launch of these things as it is like launch creates an opportunity for It's like in last episode about smoke detectors, how they always go off at night because it's a little cooler in your house. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same. It's like if they're going to do this attack, it's going to be around a big yeah. moment. There's yeah. There's always the most crucial time for things to go horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Smoke detectors is two a.m. Yep. DDoS attacks is launch, launch week on a multiplayer <laughs> yeah. game. You know? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that's all the time we have. It's a little bit of a shorter episode because well, the last one was a bit longer, and we're recording these on the same day. So you know, time's running short. We got we got to do. 
we got to move on and make some video games. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta, for putting this episode together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the podcast archives. And as always, if you haven't yet, head on over to Steam, give Crashlands 2 a wish list, which helps uh, give it some visibility and boost it up the charts. And we'd appreciate it quite a bit. So thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.